Welcome to Friendo Podcast, hosted by me, Amanda Muse. As a YouTuber, I've shared my life online for the last eight years, and now I'm excited to learn about you. Friendo celebrates people and their stories, from interesting jobs to unique passions and curious life skills that the world should hear about. Community is everything. Let's do this. Hello, friendos. September is National Recovery Month. It's a time to promote and support treatment and recovery practices. Addiction is scary to think about, and I would imagine it is even more frightening to experience firsthand or with loved ones. For parents listening, have you thought about how to talk to your children about drugs and alcohol? My guest today has had to do just that as she shares her experience as the wife of a recovering addict. She and her husband are raising two daughters in Indianapolis. Katie is the co-host of Boy Problems Podcast. She and her friends started that show and founded Recovering Two, which is an organization dedicated to helping partners, spouses, and family members of recovering addicts. It's Katie's mission to spread the message that people recover, treatment works, and stigma needs to be challenged. Later in the episode, Dean and I share our true feelings about the kids being back at school. We've officially wrapped week two of in-person learning. So guess which one of us is a bit sad and which one is thrilled with the change. We also go off about real life right now. So I'm sorry in advance, but like... Who else is feeling this way? Which way? Exactly. Stick around to find out. Then I'll share this week's favorites, a kindness matters reminder. I have a hack to make your mornings a little easier and a sports bra find for under $20 that looks sexy while supporting the Tatas. I'm Amanda Muse and this is Friendo. Welcome to the podcast, Katie. Hi, thanks. I'm excited to be here. I am very curious to learn more about your podcast. And before we jump into it, maybe tell me a little bit about who you are, you know, what you like to do with your day, and and then we'll jump into what you're doing on uh, on Boy Problems podcast. Yeah. So, uh, mom of two, wife, um, and really just kind of doing, I have a two and a five-year-old, so it's just all the busy things, all of the rushing around and, uh, you know, work full time, have a little side thing going on and just playing outside, going to the park. So that's just kind of, I'm just really fully in mom life right now. That mom season. Sometimes I really, not sometimes I do miss those days. Like I'll think about, you know, where you were like rushing back for lunch and you always had snacks on you. And now, I don't know, it's just it's a different season. There's beauty in each one, you know, and I, I definitely find you look back and you're like, Oh, I miss those days meeting moms at the park and stuff like that. Now my daughter's like, get away from me at the park, you know, right. (laughs) I fell down at school yesterday and she is mortified. She came running to me for a hug and I was standing on a hill. Felt basically I fell down the hill and she was like, I can't believe you did that at school. So, you know, we've entered that phase of parenting. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be the worst mom. I'm going to be the worst awkward, like baby, what are you doing? I'm going to be the, I just know I am to give them things for therapy later. Right. Absolutely. It's fine. So tell me a little bit about boy problems podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So we started it. So, okay. So I have two other hosts with me, uh, just, and Shannon. And we met in a recovery, a treatment facility because all of our husbands, um, suffer from substance use disorder with heroin. They all kind of have, they all have the same drug of choice. Um, at the treatment facility, they have an amazing family support group. So all of us met at the family support group. It was two hours every Wednesday. And you kind of just spill your guts of all the awfulness And then you leave the doors and then you basically pretend like nothing's happening because nobody's allowed to know that anyone is suffering from substance use disorder. Like you think of an addict, at least I thought of an addict as some dude under a bridge with a needle out of his arm, like not my husband, like not my life. And so we would meet up for lunch because relapses happen 
surprise pregnancies happen, um, overdoses happen, um, lies happen. And so we've been meeting for lunch for about five years and we decided like, Hey, why don't we just bring a microphone to this conversation? Because this could help so many people. There are so many people like us that are living in the shadows and they may live in rural communities or they don't feel comfortable going to their local treatment center or Al-Anon or Naranon meeting. Like we could help these people and show them that they're not alone. And so we just decided to start bringing a podcast or um, a microphone to our hangouts. And the podcast was born. <laughs> As these conversations tend to evolve from these amazing places, right? Like this friendship that started because of a pretty tragic situation for people yeah. listening, I think that it might even be hard to go to that place. Um, you know, just imagining that someone, you know, might have a pretty serious drug problem. And I know like just for myself last year, I think it was, I'd actually done a collaboration with naloxone, which is, um, you know, what naloxone is. Yeah. It helps prevent overdoses. And I remember I was like, yeah, I'm all over this. And we have a kit in our house. And I remember thinking like, my audience, I hope they're going to be open-minded to this because you just don't know how drug addiction can happen. It can be from some trauma from childhood. It could be from a surgery that went wrong and now you're addicted to opioids. Like it's, it's, and I, I just think like what you're saying is to kind of break that stigma around this topic. Um, yeah. it's so important. I'm so excited to talk to you about this, you know, are you comfortable sharing how your husband's addiction started or how it, how, you know, all of that stuff. I, I feel strange even like, how do I ask this question? Because it's so <laughs> taboo. You know what I mean? But share, share with me. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I am an open book. Like, I don't care. Like for me, it's just, this is a part of our life. Um, and if somebody doesn't want to be my friend or listen to my podcast or have my kids come over to their house because my husband suffers from a disease, then I don't want to be their friend anyway. And so a lot of times we equate it to, you know, diabetes, you know, you think about it, like my husband's medicine is going to meetings. Like, but if my husband, you know, relapses, you know, it's looked down upon now, unfortunately he could die. Um, but if a diabetic eats a piece of cake, nobody's saying like, you are terrible, things like that. So I want to end the stigma. That is a, such a big thing for me. So my husband, um, he kind of started uh, experimenting with pot when he was young. Uh, and unfortunately, his dad died suddenly when he was 15. And so that's where we've kind of spoke. And that's where it kind of just, I think, started, right? So he is kind of socially awkward, um, you know, a 15-year-old boy going through this awful thing in a very small town, doesn't know how to deal with his feelings. So I think he just kind of progressively, you know, did weed, which went to shrooms, which went to acid, which was, um, you know, all the other drugs. Um, so he's basically done them all in the book and then pills, pills were so readily available in his twenties and things like that, um, that it was just very easy to get pills. So, you know, he loved doing pills. Um, it just, he could never have enough. Right. So then, uh, in 20, 11. He was at his work desk. Um, he was working overnights at the time. Um, and I guess somebody had caught him doing pills of some kind and said, Hey man, why don't you just do heroin? It's way cheaper. <laughs> and so that is how his heroin, uh, started. Uh, he, uh, that happened before we got married. And so I had no idea you know, he was, he was sleeping all the time and he was nodding out. And every time I would come home, he would be blue up to his fingers. And like, he would just be blue because he wasn't breathing. So he was overdosing and I would just catch him every day. Like he gets off work at two. I got off work at four 30. So I would come home and I'd find him like blue. And I thought it was just his sleep apnea. So he has like a CPAP machine. So I would just slap that on him and just watch him breathe and watch his color come back. So, um, unfortunately, you know, and then, you know, we just had a few situations where had to come home, you know, foaming from the nose and mouth. Like he was really blue that time. And, you know, I, I, I wasn't supposed to come home that day and something in my gut said, go home, Katie. And I did. And I'm so thankful I did. Um, 
and he, you know, because of naloxone and Narcan, like that saved his life. Like he had taken, he had been doing heroin and, um, pills and they're both downers. Like that was his favorite. And so they just, it just made his respiratory system just stop. Yeah. As yeah, as those scary drugs can do, you know, something that's popping out at me um, and I don't want to stop your story, but I'm just like, you know, we love our partners. We choose these people to share our life with. I just think it's so admirable that you continued to stay with him, knowing that he had this, as you say it, because you want to say addiction, but it is a disease because not every personality type, not every person is going to try a drug and then want to be addicted and take it to that next level. I mean, I think I've even heard, um, you know, Dax Shepard talk about how, you know, first of all, he relapsed recently and I was like, whoa, and he's talking about it. And I'm like, this is so like bold or brave or something, but I love how he said, you know, he can watch his wife and she can have a drink and not want to drink till she's like blackout drunk. And I'm like, oh, I never thought of it like that. So how do you choose or how did you choose to say like, we're going to, we're going to figure this out. I'm going to help you through this. How did this addiction affect you? Yeah. So that is a question I get often. And so I did not know until three years after we got married, like I was finding him blue, like all of these awful things, but I had no idea it was a drug addiction. Right. So, so he is a master manipulator of lying. So it was always, I'm too tired. I'm too this. And so Um, I didn't know until he got in a wreck with a semi, he then came out and said, I think I have a drug problem. So we went to the treatment center and they said, don't make any decisions, big decisions for the first year to me. That is why I stayed. I didn't stay because I loved him. I didn't, I was just so numb and things were just, they kept coming out and they kept exploding. And it was just like, okay, they said, don't make any decisions for the first year. I can I can do this. And so thankfully he stayed on a path of recovery. Um, and we just started to build back up our relationships because we started dating when I was 19. And at this point I was like 27, 28. So, I mean, we had been together for nine years at this point and I had no idea all this was going on. Wow. Okay. I missed that part of the story. Well, and that's the other thing is like, he didn't go from smoking pot to doing heroin. It was a very gradual process over the years. So it's, so it wasn't like snap all of a sudden he's nodding out and foaming from the nose and mouth. And so it was, it was gradual. So, and, and again, I love this person. This is the person I married. I'm supposed to have this fairy tale white picket fence. Um, so I didn't want to believe that my husband was lying to me, was stealing all the money out of our bank accounts was pawning whatever he could get our hand, his hands on. Like, you don't want to believe that out of somebody that you love. Absolutely. So fast forward, you know, have little children, you know, how has this affected their life? Like, do you talk about drugs freely? Like, how does that look from a family perspective? Right. So I have a two and a five-year-old, so they're still too young to kind of get the nitty gritty. Um, but my, my first daughter, um, she went to her first meeting when she was four weeks old. That was my husband's first, like, um, when you have a, your, your recovery date, it's called like your birthday. And so my husband's first birthday, uh, was when she was four weeks old. And so I took her to a meeting and he got his coins and it was really wonderful. And so he goes to three meetings a week. And so he just says, daddy's going to a meeting, um, to be a good daddy. And, you know, my kids know like, Oh, dad's going to a meeting. And then they always on his sober birthday. And thankfully he has been in five years in recovery. Um, you get little key tags from, um, the meetings. And so he will bring, he'll go to meetings throughout the whole week. You celebrate for the whole week and he'll get a key tag for each one of us. That's amazing. How has your like outside circle done with this? Have there been people that you've lost along the way? People that just still love to be, you know, ignorance is bliss. There's nothing wrong with him or, you know, how, how does that look for you? Yeah. So it's interesting. My whole family, I recently, (laughs) I recently came out to all my family, like our podcast, it was secret. So my name is Elise on our podcast for basically almost all of our episodes. Okay. Um, That makes sense. Cause I was like, wait a second, which one's Katie. And like, now that I hear your voice, I'm like, now I know, but okay. Tell me a little bit about that. So you've had this podcast for about two years. Yeah. And secret names and yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, 
is my job going to find out and fire me? Is his job going to find out and fire him? Um, you know, are people going to look down on us? Like, are my neighbors going to think badly on me? Um, you know, because they were here when all the fire trucks and ambulances came often to my house. Like I live on the corner at the front of our neighborhood. So the (laughs) subdivision was blocked off a couple of times. So, um, so we were secret because we didn't want people to know. Um, we don't want anything to affect our jobs. We don't want our kids to be looked down upon. Um, so we, we were secret and, um, I'm so glad we came out. It is so freeing. It feels like I can be my whole self now that we've said our name. And I know, I mean, it took me five years to, and and my husband's been on a good path, right? For others who their loved ones are still going through this, who are suffering from relapses, who may of addiction. Like this is scary. And nobody, uh, we have an episode called, uh, where's my casserole? Nobody knows when I say my husband's an addict, nobody knows what to do. But if I would say my husband has cancer, I would get casseroles. I would get love. I would get whatever. But many people think it is like a moral failing that he can just choose to stop doing things. And he's hurting my family on purpose uh, when that's not the case at all. So, you know, we, we came out of the shadows and I just remember feeling so alone. And so that is my biggest goal with the podcast as long as well as the other two. Like, we just don't want people to feel alone. It's so lonely. Like I just, I stopped talking to all my friends because nothing made sense. Nothing made sense. Have you thought about ways you're going to talk to your children about this whole topic as they get older? So my plan is to be very open with them. Do they need to know all the nitty gritty details of like the awfulness that we went through? No, but we do need to have open conversations with them about addiction runs in your family. And, you know, you may have a drink and then you may find that you can't stop. You may take a pill and you really like it and you can't stop, but maybe your friends did. And, and, and showing them like, you know, we don't have alcohol in our house. Like we don't like most of the times, like we're just now again, the kids are younger, but even when they get older, like we play cards and we still have a blast, even though there's no drugs or alcohol. And so showing and modeling that you don't need these substances, I think is one thing. And then just being really honest, like my husband's mom told him we have alcoholics in our family. And so she really belabored the alcohol. Well, my husband doesn't like alcohol. So he never thought he could get addicted to other substances. Like it just didn't make sense. Right. He understood the alcohol because she spoke about it, but he didn't get the other part because she didn't, she didn't shed light on that because I don't know, you just, you just don't necessarily think about it unless you're in it. Tell me a little bit about recovering2.com and what your mission is with this resource. Absolutely. So we saw such positive feedback when we came out as Boy Problems Podcast. And so there, I mean, if you look around, there are very few resources for family members, right? So you see this over TikToks and you see this over whatever. You see a lot of things about people for the people in recovery, but my husband's one person but he affected like 10 people. So there's like 10 of me for one of him. And so there's just very few resources, in my opinion, for family members. And so our dream with recovering too is to show people and give them resources that you're not alone. So we do virtual support groups. We will come to treatment facilities. If they do not have a family component at their treatment facility, we will come and, you know, we've got, um, like a little education pass or like a one day seminar for like the families. Um, you know, we go out and do speaking things like I'm doing here with you, just trying to spread the message message that yes, your partner or your loved one is in recovery, but I'm in recovery too. Like I am also recovering from my codependent relationship with him, with my unhealthy habits that we had together. Um, so, so that's our big dream with that. It's a wonderful mission. Um, you know, I, I have to admit my naivety in not knowing how, you know, how the family and the loved ones of a person recovering, how they could be better supported. Um, you know, I think it's, I wonder, you know, if people ever, ever feel like, it's not necessary or maybe doubt some of the feelings that they have. Like, have you had people maybe start listening to your podcast and go, Oh my God, I feel so validated. Like I didn't know I was allowed to feel those things. 
Absolutely. And so what's awesome, but what's also sad is the private messages we get from people of, Oh my God, this is me. Thank you so much. Um, and it's sad that they're, they're doing it privately and they probably can't post our podcast or our website. They can't blast it out because obviously that would out them. Um, so, but the messages we get of, thank you, you, you talk to me, this is me, you know, you're helping, um, because, you know, the person who has the substance use disorder, um, you know, they just may like my two, my two co-hosts, their husbands relapsed a bunch and it's just kind of, you know, it kind of just felt like a hamster wheel for a while. And so, you know, it's like, you know, how do you support somebody through that? And like, they got to make decisions as well, right? Just because your loved one is using and choosing active addiction, um, doesn't mean that you have to stay, you can still love them, but you can set up boundaries. And there's really healthy things that you can do like to take care of yourself. The number one question that we typically got asked in our family recovery group is what are you doing for you? almost a thousand percent of the time people were blank. I have no idea. You are just on this roller coaster with this person who is typically in active addiction and you can step off the roller coaster. I love that message. You know, I find, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I, you know, you know, occasionally and all different kinds, I'm not just a stick to one kind of person. And there's one or two things that are popping into my head. You know, there was one that was, there's this resource um, for children of family members who had died because of substance abuse. And then similarly, you know, on TikTok, I, there's this whole like widow TikTok kind of thing. I don't, there's a whole, there's a genre for everything out there. Um, but, you know, it's sort of like the, um, what's the word I'm looking for, but how you sort of, it, it seems like you're glamorizing the, the death part of it. And it's like, yeah, that is absolutely terrifying and sad and devastating. And look how it broke up this family. But there is this like part of this recovery part for the families that is so helpful. And you don't have to be a widow or you don't have to have lost family members necessarily to be deserving of the support. And so you do have the podcast. Yes. How often are you posting? Cause I want to link everything below for everyone listening. We currently publish content every other week. So it's on Wednesdays to kind of keep in, in step with our uh, family support group. Uh, so every other Wednesday we, and we've already got like 60 plus episodes. So there's tons of content, tons of topics, you know, trust to sex, to, um, you know, intimacy, like the science of addiction. So we try to get with experts and then also talk to people with personal stories. I love that. And then of course, to check out recovering2.com for that yeah. resource, you know, if you're in a similar way or even just sharing with someone, you know, that maybe could use this. So thank right. you so much, Katie. I appreciate yeah. our chat today. Thank you. What'd you think of that one, Dean? You know, what comes to mind is that, and maybe it comes to your mind as well, is that you know, when you talk about addiction and you're just out in regular day-to-day -day life with the amount of addiction that's going on or it seems it's going on, you think you're going to be looking for people passed out in parks and, and, uh, and you know, obvious drug addicts on the street. But it's really like a household, you know, like a, a, a not a household problem, but a problem that's behind the scenes a lot of the time, mm -hmm. and you kind of don't think about it. But it's it's quite uh, it's quite more than it's disturbing. It's quite sad. Oh, it absolutely. You know? It's like you said we were we'd gone for a walk and we were talking about this particular episode, and it's like right. it's something that's hiding in plain sight. Exactly. Like, like a you know, I feel like there's a lot of that term, like a functioning alcoholic, or you know, but yeah. I think that there's a lot more readily available prescriptions that people can get access to. And then there's this type of addiction that, like Katie was saying, it didn't start full blown with the big H, you know, it didn't right. start with heroin. It started with smaller things and slowly you build this tolerance and it just develops over time and how it can happen to people that you love that you don't even see it happening, you know? Right. And or, what's sadder about it is that how does it... How does a person that's addicted to that degree get out? Like, mm. do they find it in themselves to to step up and ask for help? Or is it an intervention? Because it seems like that's the only way out of it is like an intervention or people saying, hey, you know what, you got a problem mm -hmm. kind of thing. Oh, it's just a, 
it's a very heartbreaking thing and um you know it it it's a real reality check for me anyway to absolutely yeah. i'm grateful for katie and her podcast for sharing you know something so difficult it's so in so such good. an open and vulnerable way and yeah. really eye opening very well in other you know minor news we're week 2 of back to school oh my god i just I knew there was something different because it's very quiet around here. There's no screaming or fighting over a basketball or... No, my office door is open and we're recording because we can. Yeah. I haven't put on clothes till noon. I mean, <laughs> I have clothes on. Do you though? I have my, oh, my Hugh Beaumont pants and my sleep shirt that sometimes so, double as my day shirt. Right. I have to remind Dean... I, you know, that's a topic for another day. Isn't How it? can you wear day clothes to bed? Anyway, um, but here's, well, here's clean. a fun, they are clean. And it's not like I'm wearing a pair of cargo pants and a cardigan. <laughs> That'd be weird. It's not a great combo. Would be weird. Um, okay, so this might surprise people. Although very erotic. Oh, God. Cardigan <laughs> and cargo pants. Okay. Um, something that might surprise people is that of the two of us, let's ask them right now. We're going to do a poll quick. Who do you think struggles with back to, to school more, Dean or Amanda? Definitely me. Definitely you. Yeah. Why? What happens there? Well, because these little buggers, I think because I had children late and I'm kind of getting old. And I, you know, if, if you basically handed me two manuals, one was how to raise your kid in the proper way. Okay. That's the one manual. And the other one is how to have more fun than you could possibly have with your parent. You can possibly imagine with your parent. I pretty well pick up that one. Right. And we build tree houses and big pool slides and do all kinds of weird projects. And I like the way they make a mess and they mix chemicals in the kitchen, like chemicals being baking soda and vinegar. Right. And make a mess on the floor. And, you know, they just run free. And to me, that's very inspiring because that's how I was as a child. I just wanted to learn. And I'm so happy that I'm a parent now. And I don't really care about the mess because, you know, We'll clean it up. Mm-hmm. And Jack's learning to cook. And Esme's caring for her little animals that now I carry f- care for. <laughs> right. I don't know. I just miss them. I miss them being around. They're my children. And, you know, but I, but they're also, uh, because of this pandemic and we're always together, they become my very good friends. Which everybody's going to say, your kids are not going to be your friends. I can be Don't my worry. friends if I want. I yeah. had them. Don't listen, worry. <laughs> Don't worry. Dean turns I can, into mean listen, dad every now and then. If I want to and it was legal, they can go work at the Starbucks <laughs> up the street for all I care. I'm the parent, not you. Uh, okay, but here's the thing. They're also my kids. Oh, that's but true. I, I forgot about that. really enjoy okay, them You have being a say. You have a say. Yeah. Go ahead. I so as they are also my children, I don't feel the same. I mean, yes, I love them to be free and have fun, but I love a good schedule. I well, love you, you a routine. Have, sorry, I interrupt you. Yeah, yeah, I love schedule. I love a routine. I think the biggest thing for me, and I know I've talked about this in the vlog on YouTube a bit, but like the guilt that I didn't know I was harboring of not being able to be the fun parent all the time, not being able to pay as much attention because trust me, they're in this office all the time and they have been for the last 18 months. Like, mom, mom, you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And I'm like, I can't, I got to work. I can't, I got to work. And I feel like I've said that so many times. Um, And like, not to rant too long, but like my hours have shifted where I went from kind of making this YouTube thing work in the in-between and off hours to like a real full-time job where I want to go to bed at like 10, like most adults. Well, you you spend your day uh, editing videos and doing all kinds of things that I have no idea. (laughs) Right. But what I can relate to um, uh, with what you're going through is that you know, I'm helping with your candle business. Yeah. And I'm making a, you know, a, a label for a candle or mixing candle scents and trying to get stuff that appeals to people. And they'll come in and they'll, mm-hmm. hey, I want to play basketball. And, you know, I just put everything down. I'm like, okay, shut off the burner. Let's go. And then I realized, you know, a week later, I'm like, I did absolutely nothing this week. Right. But you know what? I played a Nerf War <laughs> and I swam in the pool. Yeah. And... You know, we throw washers and stuff in the pool, like pennies. We don't have any pennies anymore, so we throw washers in the pool. Yeah. 
And uh, I went down to the river and caught frogs and all kinds of stuff. But I don't get anything productive done, which is totally fine with me. Because we're a team and we're like, well, you are work. You're the you're the brains of the operation. You're you're keeping things going. Like I still can't believe that we've managed to survive for this long on, you know, your social media uh, presence and and the business spinoffs and the campaigns that you get and stuff. And it's become essential because if we didn't have that, we'd be uh, renting this house out and living in the tent in the backyard. <laughs> exactly. I mean, what do you do, right? Honestly, it's it's, and- it's so scary. But but it's it's very tough. Beyond what's tough on us, it's really tough on the kids mm. because there is there is a quite a, a you know there's the choice of the parents to just basically go like just like in a movie or something like that. I'm thinking of like a Cat Stevens, Cats in the Cradle kind of thing, you know, like Dad, do you want to play ball? It's like nope, I'm busy. <laughs> I'm Maybe working. later. Yeah. I'm not ad libbing because I don't want to sing Cat Stevens at this point in the morning, but. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. And and you're kind of pushing these kids away. You're like, no, it's important you realize that work has to get done first. But the years go by. I know. So like that our, guilt, what you just said, is yeah. like I carry that every single day. And it's compounded because of, you know, being home and all of this. And I'm like, yeah. God, I just wish, you know, and this is where we're at now, where they go to school, get the social time, get the learning time, get all of that crap out of the way that I don't have time to do. Yeah. They come home and I'm ready. You know, like last night before dinner, Esme and I, um, you know, we lay on the bed and we played Animal Crossing for like half an hour before dinner. And then... Then there was some basketball. Then there was, you know, the chats. I have the time to dedicate like quality time at the end of the day where like instead of like five minutes here and there every hour on the hour, I can have like two to three solid hours of like, tell me about your day. I want to hear about all. Yeah, the you're new very friends. good at that. You schedule it. I'm not saying that because you're doing what you're doing, you're ignoring the children because you definitely don't. Right. You put things. You do. You work really hard, and then you put things aside. But what I'm saying is that throughout the day, before you get to that three hour point, I mean, it's a constant interruption. And for me, yeah, I can't exactly. even. Con- I can't even concentrate. Well, and there's science to prove that, like, when you're constantly being interrupted or multitasking, you're not actually doing anything effectively. Right. So I love that I can like do my work like you laugh but like you know i i was just sitting with dean having a nice morning coffee and i'm like Who's gotta dean? go you oh um i thought you're talking and well there's people you're listening. talking in the third person <laughs> well listen i was like, talking to amanda and she oh hey you're right hey there. i'm right here so we're having our morning coffee i'm like i gotta go the day is ticking away here i've done my walk i've had my coffee i gotta work and you're kind of looking at me but like i am on a serious schedule here with those kids and we never school. got to talk about my feelings which is kind of like yeah we'll leave that for later um <laughs> so but no i am thrilled Ugh. oh my god they have stories that's probably my favorite part they come home from the day and there's stuff i don't know and it's like Tell me about these new friends. Tell me about these experiences. Yeah. You know. But for me, the um, just going back to what it, what it was before mm-hmm. is talking about that. Um, I have a little secret thing, a little secret motivation in my uh, uh, motive in my in my mind for these children. It's just like after hearing about the school stuff, you know, there's this kid's being a jerk, or you know, there's all kinds of there's always some social dilemma that's. You know, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm not a giant fan of, you know, big group dynamics that are through institutions like school or, you know, that type of thing. I always found it kind of oppressive. And part of me, like, you know, taking the kids aside and, hey, kids, let's make some rocket motors. You know, this is the chemicals you mix and, you know, that kind of... I'm, I shouldn't use that as an example because now that the FBI will be... <laughs> following me around but you know like model rocket motors or whatever and i kind of want them to explore their minds and and maybe catch a little fever about something you know that they like to do that they Mm -hmm. can turn into a business because i secretly want their their imaginations to flourish so they can escape start their own business or or whatever and escape the drudgery Mm. of everyday life because that's the thing that kind of gets me is that I don't think that it's necessary to always push a kid into you know this work state like academic pursuit like well I think it's important to learn 
academia for sure. But I think you can learn, like, I learned so much from my dad uh, before I, you know, more than I learned in school, uh, you know, almost for him taking me aside and showing me because I was like, oh, that's golden time, you know. So I, that's my motive is what I'm saying. It's like, yes. I really, I really hope that they discover some creativity and a, uh, some inspiration and kind of go that direction. Mm-hmm. So. Well, this is, I mean, I'm going to, let's let's gas Dean up a bit here, but this is why I really enjoy doing life with you because my Do you comfort, want to like make out and stuff? I mean, for sure. We have time. Nobody's home. <laughs> but. Now I have stage fright because yeah, like I'm, but you're in those, I was big talking. Now I'm yeah. like, oh, I would rather just. Stay just, in your Hugh Beaumont pajamas. Okay. But listen, but what I was going to say is to gas Dean up a bit, a my comfort state is like such a step, such a place of discipline. Like let's go back to my high school years for a hot second. Like I had still do what I do now with my planner and I write things out and I cross them off and I have scheduled time for everything. Like I love that. So to have a partner like you who forces me to abandon the, you know, to burn the schedule every now and then and to walk away from the messy kitchen and allow that freedom of creativity, which I totally appreciate. Don't ever, don't even get the idea of filling people's heads with you ever going in the kitchen to do anything. Oh my God. I just said, walk away from the kitchen. Do you hear him? He doesn't listen to me. Uh, Listen, I said, with the children. Maybe I'm harboring a little bit of resentment. I can tell over there. Um, But with the children. Those of you that don't know, I'm the kitchen bitch, so. Listen, you wear it well. I in the kitchen. You wear it well. Um, But (laughs) the kids like doing the experiments and stuff. Sometimes I'm just like, God damn, I just mopped the floors, but like walk away, let them, let everybody live a little, you know? So this is the nice thing about being in a partnership where you like, you know, you bring that element to them where they can be creative and free and build rockets in the backyard where I'm like, good Lord. And I just have to walk away from it because my brain with the structure has a hard time with that kind of color outside the lines. So anyway, I'm just, uh, yeah, you're not a color outside the lines person. Not really. You push me to be that way. Yeah. In In some some things for sure. But I really, I love structure and like routine and discipline. Like I thrive on that. Um, and so it's nice to have, you know, our life, and I've often said this, like when I share with my friends or my family, like I love the spontaneity of stuff. Like people used to say to me, I don't know how you're with a partner who travels so much or who does all these things and no week is the same. And I'm like, that's my favorite part. Yeah, but it's been many years since I traveled like that. You know, well, there's the long periods of training, but there's just the last job I had, it was just flying but we've a never day been, or two and I've come back. We've never been the type of household that's like, you know, spaghetti Mondays, taco Tuesdays. We have been in the last 18 months, yeah. which, took, which took a serious adjustment for us. It did. But our the spontaneity of you as a person is probably one of my most favorite things. So well, I love you. that kind of stuff. Anyways, I love Dean and... Um, I love you too, Amanda. <laughs> the kids are at People school. People are like, so oh, we got to go. God, um, <laughs> I got to get out of this podcast because they're freaking me out. Listen, I'm proud of us. We had these kids home for 18 months. I am celebrating, although I did forget how quickly the days actually go when they're at school because you're just like, holy smokes, like they got to pick them up, you know? So... Oh yeah, you always got to pick them up. You got to remember that part. That's a, if you're going to remember anything, just kind of remember that <laughs> when school finishes. Yeah, pick them up. Oh, oh it was man. so funny. There was uh, one thing. Like, don't you notice that we're a little bit, we're quite strict with where the kids are at what time and all that type of stuff. And the other day, so uh, as yesterday, Esme walked home with a friend who just had a sister that kind of just <laughs> didn't walk home with her. She's an elder sister. Yeah. And they, uh, Esme wanted to walk her friend to her house, which is close. So then they end up walking back by our house and they said, we're supposed to go back to the school and pick up the sister. <laughs> I'm like, what? How does that happen? How did you and why your aren't sister? the parents freaking out and in the car looking for this kid? It turns out the elder sister went to a friend's house, but didn't tell the younger sister. Oh. In any case, there's a little bit of drama. Well, I think... Think about it, though. Kids are so damn excited to see other people, like friends right. at school, that they get all overstimulated and like yeah. just left school without the sibling. Bitch. It's a real bitch on them, for sure. It, oh, and it's sad because that little friend is actually moving. I'm like, damn it. You know? Yeah, there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of things that I think are going to affect those kids. A lot of factors like, you know, well, mind you, we have another 
the, the kids, our kids are quite good friends most of the time. And so that was a good thing. But can you imagine like an only child uh, going through all this stuff? It's just... Well, oh. maybe, and you know, yeah, you're right. Only children hanging out with adults all the time, not yeah. having access to kids. It's tricky. It so is. I find it's as as happy as we are, as happy as the kids are, it's still quite a transition period for everybody. So it's like, you know, day by day, right? Like, you know, try to keep it exciting. Yeah. You know, we put up a little basketball net in the front yard just so the kids could have something fun to do. So now they're playing basketball before school, which is exciting. And yeah. like, hopefully just, they'll play with that for more than a week. And yeah, then... I'm sure they will. Anyways, right now we're in like, I feel like we're in this really nice honeymoon phase. I know that there's people listening going, yes, but Delta variant and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know what? To me, the risk of that right now is like, less traumatic than what it's been like having kids home learning through a computer for the last 18 months. Like I'm, I feel like that's a stress or a risk I'm willing to take at this point just yeah. because of how hard it's been on them. I can't even, I can't even, I, I, I can't even get to the point anymore where I can look at this stuff like the Delta variant, whatever, and put more than a few minutes of thought into it. Mm-hmm. Because it's just getting so overwhelming, mm-hmm. you know, I not just for me, but for other people. And you used to, um, you know, there was a, that really optimistic stage. Mm-hmm. I think the optimistic stage was last summer yeah. where even the doctor that we were seeing was saying, you know, oh, they're going to have this vaccine. It's going to be over yeah. by whenever, September, October. Well, it's... A, it's September again, a year later, mm-hmm. and nothing's happened, and it's just gotten worse. And now, you know, there's a lot of acceptance that needs to take place in a lot of things. Like, I cannot not work. Yeah. I'm not rich. So it's time to go back to work doing anything, mm-hmm. like literally anything. I know. Because I just need a purpose to get out of bed in the morning, especially now that the kids are back at school. Mm-hmm. And you, that's not a big deal anymore because you have work to do and whatnot, but it's... It would be nice to be back to a double income, <laughs> you know? I feel like yeah. that's a topic and I think we'll we'll tackle that another day yeah, because ta- there's definitely, we're not the only people whose lives, I feel like we've had like oh. a huge tsunami come through yeah. and we're standing there with the aftermath of this tsunami and some people are up on the hill in their mansions still living their life and we're like... Ayo, like my house got destroyed. Yeah. My farm is gone. Yeah. Like, how am I supposed to rebuild here? And well, the thing is, is that there's that happened long, long ago. Right. I mean, that happened. People lost their jobs quite quite a long time ago. Right. And uh, you know, the government stuff, like the two thousand dollars or whatever you get. Yeah. Uh, that's disappearing in October. I know. So, you know, first of all, you can't live on two thousand dollars with a family. And the second of all is that it's all going to end in October and then you're going to see more things. But I'm sure you don't see the misery that some people are going through. And the reality, the worst part is that, you know, those that thought they were safe was like, I can last a year, no problem. I have the savings. Well, it's gone beyond a year. Well, it's 18 months now. And I mean, let's just to kind of wrap it up, but like the friend that's moving away, um, I said, oh, why is your friend moving? And Oh, this is uh, Esme's yeah, friend. Esme's little friend. Yeah. And Esme's response was, oh, well, the houses are cheaper where they're moving. And I'm like, here we are, man. Like, right? this is for real. Like, some people's lives are really, really impacted. Yeah. Um, and we're not there yet. But, like, I've, jo- I've joked and said to friends, if you ever see a for sale sign up on the yard, like, shit got real. Like, it's, well, it's just, a real it's poss- for real. It's a real possibility yeah. that you're looking you know, for work in a smaller town, yeah. uh, far away from everything, because, you know, you can sell your house for a big chunk mm-hmm. of change right now. Absolutely. And you could buy that house outright, and then you have some money, you know. To live. But it's not a means to an end, because no. you'd really have to research where you're going, and is there even a job there, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's going to, you know, to stick, that you can do for the rest of your career. It's a sad, sad, sad thing. I know. Sorry so. to end this episode on a bummer note. Jeez. Yeah. But like, it's real life, right? These are things we're thinking about right now. But on the positive side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Let's go make out. Distraction. Put your outfit on. Let's <laughs> gonna get wild. Oh God. All right, guys. Well, you know what? I think we're gonna we're done now. Let's end this. No, I'm okay? done with you. I'm done with you. I gotta go clean the kitchen. All right, get to it. Okay, bye. Bye. Welcome to my favorite things, my favorite part of the podcast, where I get to share with you three things that just made me a little happier this week. So the first thing is a bit of a kindness reminder. So I know that I've mentioned I have a wonderful friendship with a gentleman in my neighborhood who happens to be in his early 90s. We call him Big Jack around here. And he's a wonderful person. And we have cultivated a friendship now over the course of a year. I think it's been about a year now because I remember walking up to him on his front porch, on his veranda last year, sort of towards the end of summer and just, you know, making conversation. I had been walking by his house pretty much daily with my dogs and I'd always give him a little wave and just, I don't know, something compelled me to go over and say hello. And so, you know, as we've navigated this interesting dynamic of a friendship, you know, a friendship that spans some generations here, um, there's been some ups and downs in terms of perhaps people questioning my intent, which is a little bit strange, but I suppose it's human nature to jump to the negative. I don't know. At the end of the day, He brings me a lot of calm and it's an opportunity for me to practice my listening because I think we're often moving so darn quickly that we don't spend a lot of time stopping and paying attention and listening. Listening is a really hard skill to cultivate, honestly. And so, you know, it's been really lovely to just hear stories about his life. And I feel very grateful that, um, you know, he's shared them with me. And what's really interesting is that it could be that he's lived 90 plus years, that he doesn't have that same filter of holding back certain thoughts or feelings or appreciation. But, you know, we've had this mutual sharing of how grateful we are for one another. And if there's anything that I'm left with after spending time with him is that for some reason we've gone awry in our culture where, and I'm speaking specifically North American, Western type of culture, where we seem to forget about our senior citizens. Like somehow we hit an age where we no longer matter or we become not as useful and therefore not as important. And for one, I find it quite shocking because uh, fun fact, we all age like every day and hopefully we can all get to our 90s, although not all of us are as lucky. But it's so strange to me that we would see a person older you know, in their 90s or 80s and think that they don't have as much to offer, which is absolutely ridiculous because they've been here longer. And if anything, we should stop, drop and listen a little bit longer. And anyway, without getting too ranty about it, because I get that, I don't know, for some reason, we may hold ourselves back from making friends in different age groups. But if there's anything I can offer is that The small amount of kindness, the small amount of time that you can invest in someone, especially a senior in your life, in your family, in your community, it has such a long and lasting impact. It is like, sometimes I'm shocked at how grateful Jack is for my friendship. And it's not like I have a lot of time to spare. And I just, you know, I pop by, I send him a text every now and then, but it has a huge impact. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn here because... That's not the point of this. It's just that if you have an opportunity to say hello, to stop and listen, to drop somebody off some muffins, you know, it it just, it goes a long way. So thank you for coming to my TED Talk about kindness. <laughs> the next one, my next favorite is a touch shorter. And it is a simple hack for any parents or, you know, folks who bring themselves a lunch to work. It's make your lunch the night before. Make your kids lunch like right after dinner. So I get that for sure we're still in this honeymoon phase. You know, we've only been at school for like 10 days or something. But 
I have, you know, I'm creating a new routine where after the dinner cleanup, I immediately go and pack the lunches for the next day because I still have energy. I'm standing up anyway. I'm in the kitchen. Everything's there. And more often than not, the kids come in and kind of help me out, which is great because then they pack lunches I know they're going to eat. But that's it. That's the hack. So basically, when the kids get home from school, I empty out their lunch bags right away and I clean them right away. I do it by hand because a lot of it needs hand washing anyway. And then that way, by the time dinner's done, and we're in the midst of the cleanup, all of their lunch items are already clean and dry and all I have to do is pack everything up. So that's my hack right now. It is making my mornings seamless, which I'm all about that because if I have to choose between drinking a nice hot coffee or making someone's lunch, I would much prefer the coffee. You feel me? And the last one, last but not least, it is about sports bras. So if you like to wear a sports bra, if you have the anatomy where a sports bra is required, I highly recommend a sports bra from Walmart. I can't even believe this. So a friend of mine had messaged me and told me that Walmart is carrying Reebok. So the brand Reebok, and they have a bunch of you know sportswear, athletic leisure type of stuff, right? Um, so the last time I was at Walmart, I like took a peek in the women's section and they didn't have as much to my liking in the Reebok part. Um, but I did notice they have, you know, another brand, which is pretty generic brand, like their cheaper brand. And they have this sports bra that zips in the front. And I'm telling you, things are lifted, separated, supported. I could run. And also you just look super like super hot. Can I say that? Yes, I can. I don't know. Something about a sports bra with a zipper in the front just does it for me. And it was under $20. I also bought the matching pants, but I have to say that the pants don't get so much rave reviews. They're just, if you're a little thicker in the, you know, if you have a dump truck kind of thing, that's not as great, but the sports bra, amazing. So those are my finds for this week. I hope you enjoyed them. Be sure to share with me something that you enjoyed this week. And if you could, to share this podcast with a friend, tell at least one person. That's all I ask. It's free, right? It's free to listen, free to share. And that is how you get Friendo into new ears. And if you have even more time, like just a touch more time, if you could rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, it really helps the show grow. So thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you next week with a brand new episode. Friendo Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Amanda Muse. Music on this episode is written by Chris Bevins and Mike Payne, performed and produced by MP Real Glow. If you'd like to help support the growth of Friendo Podcast, you can do so by leaving a positive review, sharing the podcast with your friends and community, and supporting the shop at hellofriendo.com. Find us on Instagram at shophellofriendo. And thank you for listening. And remember... Be your own bird. <laughs>